As it's been mentioned, we'll be in Psalm 119 tonight. So I invite you to turn there with me, Psalm 119. And we'll be looking at verse 105. Psalm 119, verse 105. And we have been reminded over the past several Lord's Days of just how wonderful and precious and glorious and life-giving the Word of God is. As we've been reading Psalm 119, uh, two or three stanzas at a time. And you probably know that this is an acrostic Psalm, it's an alphabetic psalm. So one man says it's an alphabet of prayers and reflections on the word of God. And it's clearly by somebody who loved the word and delighted in the word of God and meditated in it day and night. And tonight our meditation is going to focus here on the first verse in this stanza, the noon stanza, the end stanza. And let me go ahead and read that. Familiar words, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Let's again pray and ask for God's blessing. Lord, we do thank you for your word and the light that it brings us. We thank you for this precious verse and for Psalm 119 and all the Psalms and all of your word, which casts so much light into the world and into our lives. And we ask now for the help of your Holy Spirit that we might benefit from these meditations in your word and that you would work among us and that Christ would be exalted. We ask in his name, amen. Amen. The absence of light, which of course we call darkness, but the absence of light has more or less always been a source of fear. It has been associated with danger, with the unknown, with unseen enemies. I remember as a child going through a phase of wanting a nightlight, and it wasn't so much to see. It was just a tiny little light that I wanted, but it was for comfort in the midst of the darkness, to calm my fears, to reassure me. And I distinctly remember watching a show, and this was not a good idea, but it was called Are You Afraid of the Dark? And I was terrified after watching that. I was unable to sleep as a result of that. Well, darkness and light, both the physical and the spiritual realities, these realities are realities that we live with every day. We're very familiar with them. They penetrate, though, even to the core of our being. Light dispels darkness in our physical environment, in our surroundings, But also, spiritually speaking, it overcomes the darkness of our hearts and minds. And light overcomes the darkness of this world. And this is, we might say, the story of the Bible, at least from one perspective. The light overcoming the darkness. Now, you know from the beginning, we're told that darkness was on the face of the deep in Genesis chapter 1, and that God spoke into the darkness, and he said, let there be light, and there was light. Then before long, all humanity was plunged into spiritual darkness when sin entered the world. So by the fall, man was brought into darkness. Man was brought into an estate 
of sin and misery. But into this darkness as well, this deep spiritual darkness, God also spoke. And in Genesis 3.15, we have the first spark of hope. We have what is often called the proto-gospel, the first gospel. When we have that promise, these words, this is the Lord speaking to the serpent, saying, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That was a, a spark of hope in the darkness. And today, thousands of years later, after those words, and 2,000 years after the fulfillment of that promise, fulfilled by Jesus Christ, God is still speaking into the darkness of this world. He's still speaking into the darkness of the hearts and minds of men and women and boys and girls. And he does that by his holy word. His written word, the scriptures of both the Old and New Testaments, 66 books, they come to us as a glorious light in the midst of darkness. They come to us even as a lamp and as a light to guide our way as the psalmist is reflecting. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Now, in using this particular picture, think about this. The psalmist is indicating at least two things. One, just how necessary the word of God is to us. We need it. We need the light. But also just how practical the word of God is to us. Where would we be without it? How could we navigate life to the glory of God without the word of God? Where would we end up without the light of divine revelation? Now, my aim tonight is really to urge all of us to heed the word, to use the words of Peter as a light that shines in a dark place. So I want to urge us and to encourage us, and I know that many of us are doing this, but also to just strengthen us, those of us who do love the word, that we more and more might think and plan and hope and believe in the light of God's holy, infallible, and perfect word. And not in our own light or in any other lesser light, but that we would live in the light of God's word. And this is whether you're a believer or not a believer. Whether you're a believer or not, God's word is your only sure lamp and light. And that's how I want to think about this text. It's obviously written by a believer, by someone who knows this in his soul to be true. And yet I think there's something here to reflect upon about how this speaks to those who are still in darkness. So we'll look at the word as a lamp and a light for those who are still blind and also for believers. So firstly, God's word is a lamp and light for the spiritually blind. Such is the darkness of fallen humanity that this is all of us by nature, spiritually blind, in the dark until God opens our eyes. Have you ever experienced real darkness? Heavy, thick darkness that might even be felt. That's the language of Exodus 10, the plague, that thick darkness. I'm not sure I've experienced darkness quite like that. 
In our modern age of electricity, there's usually always some kind of light around, some ambient light. So it's hard for us, especially in an urban or suburban setting, really to understand what true darkness is like. I remember years ago, I was in Oklahoma working, and I was driving in the the wee hours of the morning, maybe 3 a.m. or something like that, for work through a small town in Oklahoma, Sealing, Oklahoma, And I was struck, nobody else was around, but I was struck by how dark it was. So struck that I pulled over and I shut my lights off just to experience the darkness that was out there. There were a few flickering lights on uh, the cell towers, those red lights, but that was it. But it was almost stunning to me, the darkness. So for us, this kind of deep darkness is really not common, but that's not the case in Bible times. So when this writer of Psalm 119.105 is writing this, he knew, he was very familiar with darkness, and darkness that is dangerous if you didn't have a light. You wouldn't just go out in the dark without a lamp. That was the flashlight of the day, or, or for some of you who use your phone, that was the phone of the day so that you could see where you're going in the dark. It was dangerous without it. So what the psalmist is doing is taking his common experience, and an experience that would have been common to anybody reading this, especially at the time, his experience in the physical realm, and he's then applying that in the spiritual realm, and he's saying something like, as I seek to live and to walk in this dark world, your word, O God, is like a lamp and light that shines on my feet and then lights up the path that is before me. So the idea here is that without it, he would be in danger. He would be lost. He would be stumbling in the dark. God tells us that the way of the wicked is like darkness, Proverbs 4.19, and that they do not know what makes them stumble. And so we know that left to our natural blindness, Without any of the illuminating influence of the word of God, we would live our lives groping in the dark, stumbling in the dark, choosing paths that seem right to us, that seem good and wise, but their end is the way of death, as Proverbs 14, 12 puts it. You remember the young man in Proverbs 7. He's described as being devoid of understanding. And what we see him doing there is going down a path that leads to his destruction and he doesn't realize it. He's guided by blind passion, by his lust. He's going after the crafty harlot as an ox goes to the slaughter and then also described as a bird hastens to the snare. He did not know it would cost his life. He's in darkness. We could say he's, he's whistling a tune all the way to his death, having no idea. That's all of us by nature. Now, how common is this sad story to see people going on in darkness, going on to their destruction without even knowing it? Our native foolishness, if we were left to that, we would all more or less blindly choose paths of destruction. We would choose all sorts of foolish things, things that we think would make us happy and satisfy us. All of it would lead ultimately to our eternal ruin. Think about this. By nature, our darkness 
What is the path that we choose by nature? It's self-gratification. Doesn't that come naturally? We live to maximize our own pleasure according to our sinful desires and passions, as Paul puts it in Ephesians 2, 3, that we were once conducting ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. As fallen creatures, we also naturally are drawn to the way of self-fulfillment and of self-determination, living for our own purposes, seeking autonomy. In other words, seeking to be a law unto ourselves, to live life our own way. We think this will lead to our happiness, but what we don't know in our native blindness is that it only promotes our misery. There's the way of self-righteousness, which we blindly go in if we remain in the darkness of our, of our native state. We try to be good enough or to somehow earn our way into God's favor. And there's many other ways we seek to walk in our own light. And in doing that, we're walking in darkness. Now, it's into this gloomy picture of our fallen state that God speaks, that his word is given as a light, as a bright light in a dark place to reveal the true way to life and the true way to joy and to fulfillment and to purpose. We know that above all, God's word is given to reveal to needy sinners the way to be right with God through Jesus Christ, the way of salvation through Jesus, that he is the way and the truth and the life and none come to the Father except through him. That's at the heart of the scriptures. That's at the heart of what God has revealed, his plan to rescue sinners. Even the Old Testament scriptures as we read in 2 Timothy 3.15, are able to make one wise for salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. So we need all of the scriptures to give us this light to know the right way. God hasn't left us in the dark. He desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so he's spoken. He has given us the word. Well, what truth does he desire us to come to? It's the objective truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's saving truth. So we need to appreciate that without the light of God's word, none of us here would be worshiping God. None of us would have any real hope. We might be holding on to something. None of us would have any real joy or satisfaction. None of us, no sinner would know how to be right with God, would even have a sense of his danger. However zealous, however brilliant, however enlightened that person is, they wouldn't come to a knowledge of how to be right with God. Now, they might become very religious. So many people come up with all sorts of things. They might be very spiritual. They might chart a course that seems good and right, but that person would still be stumbling in the dark and walking by their own light. So again, this is why we preach the gospel and we continue to preach the gospel. How else are we going to know the gospel? We can know a lot of things about God, the Bible says, just looking at creation. So that night I pulled over and the stars were so amazing. We can learn things about God, about his power. We can even know that there is a creator 
And yet there's things about God that we need to know that we can't just know by observing nature. We can't just know it instinctively about God's holiness and about how he's been offended and how he's just and about the punishment we deserve. And what about mankind? We could observe, we could be the keenest observers of mankind and we could say, yes, there's something very wrong with men. Murdering each other, stealing, lying, all of these things we see in our world, something is wrong, but the keenest observer would not come up with the kernel of what is wrong with man apart from the light of God's word. Man's a sinner. He sinned against God. He's in rebellion against his creator. We certainly wouldn't know the way of salvation through Jesus Christ. We would have records, I'm sure, of the historians telling us about Christ, but we wouldn't have the light that we have in the word that tells us about who Christ is and what he has done and the work he accomplished for sinners on the cross and with his perfect life. We need the light of the gospel. We wouldn't know how must I be saved. We wouldn't know about repentance and about faith in Jesus Christ and in him alone. All of these things we need, the light of the gospel. I want you to imagine somebody walking in complete darkness. And they're walking and there's this huge pit, a massive sinkhole that's very deep. And they're coming near the edge of it. But they don't know because it's so dark. Now, somebody with a light approaches this person and knows the danger that they're in, and they come with their light, seeking to show them the danger and to shine a light upon the right path. Now, think for a moment about some potential responses. That person might, in pride and self-confidence, reject this help and say, I don't need help. I'm just fine. I can... Make it along here in the dark by myself. Thank you very much. And they just go on. They might object for another reason. They might be ashamed. Their their clothes is filthy, torn. and They don't want any light coming near to them and exposing that. They're too ashamed. And so they say, "Get get away from me. And they just go on in the dark. They might be offended at the very suggestion that they would even need help. And they might think that the other traveler has lost his mind and just go on blindly saying, some massive sinkhole, danger, and they just keep going. Now, in all of these scenarios, if they were true, I think all of us would very readily admit that they're foolish. But this is what people do every day, and especially every Lord's Day, as the word of God is preached. As sinners hear the word of God, they have these various responses, ways that they reject it. They might just completely ignore it, and that's like that seed that's plucked up that we read about. But many people don't come to Christ. They turn away from the light because they're too proud, too self-confident. They might be offended at the very idea that we say to them that they're a sinner in need of salvation, that there's something fundamentally wrong with them and that they can't do anything to meet their greatest need. They might not want the light anywhere near to them because of their sin and fear of being exposed by the light. And on and on, there are these different 
ways that people reject the light. Now, it's true that the light exposes. Maybe there's some of you here and you're thinking, well, I've just, my thoughts have been too wicked. My actions, things that I've done have been too wicked. I don't want the light exposing that. That is the nature of light to expose sin. But if you're not willing for the word of God to expose and to shine light, then you also will never experience it as refreshing and life-giving and pointing you to the Savior. You'll never know the way to be cleansed and forgiven and to be made right with God. So that's the first thing I, I want us to meditate on here is that the word is a lamp and light to reveal the gospel to needy sinners. Needy sinners who are still walking in darkness. And it shows them the way of salvation to reveal to them the one who said this, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus said that. We have it in John 8, 12. So let there not be anyone here. And you heard earnest appeals if you were here this morning to come to Christ, to, to sever from the world and your love of the world and to, to cling to Christ. And again, I would say, let nobody be here in darkness. Understand, understand the danger you're in and the bright light that is shining upon your life and upon the way to be right with God. Come to Christ. But secondly, I want us to reflect on how the word of God is a lamp and a light for believers. It is a lamp and a light for believers. For those of us who were once blind, but now by God's grace we see. For those of us who were once darkness, but now are light in the Lord and are children of light, as Paul puts it in Ephesians 5. Those of us who have been delivered from the power of darkness, we have been given this light so that we might know how to navigate this life in this dark world unto the glory of God. That we might know the right way to go and know what is pleasing to God. Our text emphasizes the practical nature of the word. What could be more practical than a light in a dark place to guide one's steps? Now, in another place in Psalm 119, the psalmist is going to stress how the word enlightens our understanding. So it's going to focus more on the mind there. The entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. That's verse 130. But here we're made to think more practically as the psalmist reflects on his feet and the path before him. I have nothing new to tell you tonight, of course. I trust that these words of Psalm 105 resonate with you deeply and even are a delight to you because you're saying, yes, I have found this to be true in my life again and again and again. Your word, O oh God, is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. But I hope, even though I tell you nothing new, that you can at least de delight in that because you love the word and you say, yes, I want to hear again how it is a lamp to me. So my aim really is just to stir up a fresh sense of gratitude tonight as we consider what we have in the word of God and what we have so readily at hand. And also I want to rekindle our delight in the word of God. I want to encourage us afresh to take up the word of God 
and, and not just to bask in its light, but to walk by it, to live in the light of the word of God. So here we have a verse for pilgrims, a verse for travelers, for those who are in the world but not of the world, those of us who are passing on to our homeland, but here we are living in this world seeking to glorify God. And as God gave the Israelites that pillar of fire by night in order to show them light and the way that they should go, we have the word of God as this bright pillar to guide us in this life. We would continually stumble and fall and go astray without it, would we not? Let's think about this picture. It's a simple picture. It's a beautiful picture. You're walking in the dark. You've got your lamp in your hand, and it's casting its glow all around you upon your feet and upon the path that is before you. So think about what's the benefit of that lamp to you as you're walking. Well, it's a lamp to your feet, a lamp to your feet. So it's a benefit here in particular to prevention, to keep your feet from stumbling to keep you from stepping into danger. I think all of us have gotten up at the middle of the night and we have stumbled over something. You've, you've hit your shin really hard on the corner of the bed or something like that. I can remember in college, this was foolish, but I was running in a dark parking lot. I was late to a basketball game. And before I knew it, I was on my face because I didn't see a parking block that had been there. And so I was running blindly. We've all experienced this. I needed a light for my feet. I needed something to cast light on something that I didn't see that tripped me up. And that's what the word comes and does. It casts light upon the many dangers that are ahead of us. It shows us the obstacles. It shows us the traps. It's the bewares and the warnings of the word of God that come to us. It it shows us, for example, and just give a few of these things just so that you can get the wheels turning for your meditation, it tells us to watch out for things like pride. It says, here's a danger. Watch out for that stumbling block, your pride. It goes before destruction. A haughty spirit goes before a fall. Or it says to us, beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses, Luke 12, 15. It tells us, watch out for the pitfall of bitterness, of unforgiveness, of wrath, and of anger, of greed. 1 Timothy 6, 9, the words are very clear. And it's it's a warning sign. It's saying, watch out for this. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Tells us to beware of false teachers, of deceivers, false gospels, of heresies, and on and on and on. We have such things as we find in Galatians 5, which which would be a light to us as a congregation as we're seeking to walk. If you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. Then we have a whole host of bad examples in the word of God. 
So sometimes you're reading the word and you're saying, what is the good example here? Other times it's, what's the bad example? And what's the warning here for me? What is God showing me by this bad example that I need to watch out for? How is he casting light for my feet that I might not stumble? In 1 Corinthians 10, 16, Paul says these things, he's talking about the fathers in the wilderness, in that wilderness wandering generation. These things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. So on and on, the, the word of God, it's a lamp to our feet. How often have you been helped in this way? As you've heard the scriptures read, you've read it yourself, or it just called to mind some portion of the word of God, and you have found it to point out some danger in your own life. So we need this, the word as a lamp to our feet, and we need it constantly because of all the obstacles in our way, in the Christian life, the world, the flesh, and the devil. These obstacles are ever-present. So we need the prevention of the word. But there's another way as we're walking along and we've got this light of the word. How does it help us? Well, it's also a faithful guide to us in regard to direction. So direction. It is a light for our path, showing us the way that we should go. A light for our path. It shines upon the narrow gate that Jesus speaks about, that narrow gate and the difficult way that leads to life. And without it, we would be tempted to go down that wide gate. That's where we naturally would tend to, following the rest of the world, the wide gate, and travel the broad road that leads to destruction. It shows us the paths of righteousness. It shows us what's pleasing to God. That great question, what is man's chief end? It's to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Well, this is our guide to know how to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. I remember when that struck me one time in college as I'm thinking, what if I come up with my own ways and my own purposes and just do things according to my own wisdom? I realized at the end of my life, I would have totally missed the point of my life and not glorified God. So we can be thankful we have this light It tells us this is what is pleasing to God. This is how we enjoy him, and this is how we glorify him. It guides and directs our steps in every area of life. So you can expect help in the home. There's light here for husbands and wives to guide us in the home. There's light here for parents and for children to know how to glorify God and to enjoy him in the home. There's light here in the word of God with our worldly labors, our places of employment, and on and on. How do we do our work unto God's glory? How do we do the most mundane things unto the glory of God? God's word guides us and directs us in that. We find here direction in every stage of life. Whether you're very young and just beginning your life or whether you're at the end of your life or anywhere in between. Whether you're married, been married a long time, or newly, newlyweds, whether you have lost a spouse, whether you're, whatever your circumstances, there is light to guide you in that particular circumstance in the word of God, whatever stage of life. You're not going to reach a stage of life in a set of circumstances that the word of God doesn't cast light into to guide you to know how to glorify God in those new set of circumstances. 
It gives us direction even in triumphs, not just our trials. How do we prosper to the glory of God? And also, how do we face adversity to the glory of God? It gives us direction in every decision. It doesn't work like a magic eight ball that you shake and it gives you an answer, but it gives us a better way. It gives us the way of wisdom and helps us to make wise choices. It reveals God's preceptive will, as it's sometimes called, his precepts, his commandments, which are not burdensome, as we heard today, this morning. So God gives us his will. We know what he wants to do. We might not know the exact answers that we want. Some people say, well, who should I marry? Should I get married? Should I go to this school or should I go to that school? You're not going to find that in the word of God, but you do know the will of God. It gives you light even as you're making those big decisions, gives us direction in navigating the complexities of life in a fallen world. Think about our Christian ethics series, all of the complex issues that we're working through today. This is our light. This is our lamp to guide us as we're working through those things. This is the foundation as we're trying to build and think, well, how as Christians do we navigate? How do we think about this? It is a light So not just a faithful guide in regard to prevention for our feet, but it's also for direction. It's a light for our path, the way that we should go. But also, thirdly, it's a benefit to us, the word of God, in regard to reproof or to rebuke. It's a light for our path to let us know when we've gone off course, to let us know when we've begun to stray from that path of righteousness, the way that is pleasing to God. It's the warning sign. It's the turnaround or the wrong way signs. It shines a light upon these. It's the, it's the reality that we're prone to wonder as we sung about makes this necessary that we need this light to show us when we veered off course. We stray in our thinking very easily. We stray in our attitudes very easily, in our actions, in our words. We, we need the word of God to shine a light upon our path and let us know when we're not thinking as we ought to think or feeling or doing or saying as we ought to do. We need this, all of us, we need this rebuke at times to shine a light upon our sin. We need the word of God to come with convicting power and at times a piercing power. But sometimes it is more subtle. Even just this morning, I was, I was rebuked in reading Psalm 9, but it wasn't like a sharp sword piercing me and knocking me on the ground, but it was piercing to me when I read these words. I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. That comes to me as a light. When I see this godly determination, I will, I will, I will praise you, tell of your works, be glad and rejoice in you, sing and praise. And that rebukes me and says, where's where's my determination like this? Where's my godly resolve? So I could give example after example. So it's not always that we're knocked down by it, but it's these kinds of rebukes too. When we see these examples of Godliness in the word of God. But we do at times need the word to come to us 
like David needed Nathan when he was silent and trying to cover everything up. And we need the word of God to come to us and say, you're the man, you're the woman, or you're the boy, or you're the girl. And we've all had that as we're reading something, and we realize that's me. God's putting his finger on my sin. We need that. We sometimes need to be stopped in our tracks, but it's not enough just to be stopped in our tracks. And this brings us to a fourth thing I want to think about, is that we need the word as a lamp and a light to correct us, to restore us. Not just to say, well, you have veered off course, but to say, now here's the right way. It's the recalculating of the GPS and saying, okay, we're going to get back on track and we're going to be on the paths of righteousness again. This is the necessary positive side of the guidance of the word of God. We need this. Have you ever been discouraged by what seems to be incessant criticism? Just, you just feel like you can't do anything right. You're being critiqued here and there and there. What does that do to your soul when it's always you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong? We need also to hear, along with the criticism, this is the right way. This is what you need to do. Here's the correction, the nudge back on the right track. And the word of God does that. It doesn't just come to us with wounding, but also with healing. It doesn't just bring reproofs, but it brings correction. The word wounds us and binds us up. It's profitable, says Paul, for reproof, but also for correction. 2 Timothy 3, 16. Just give you some examples here. If the word reproves us for being unloving, it doesn't just leave us there and say, you're unloving. But it shows us what love really looks like. Maybe 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. And you say, that's right, I've not been very kind. If it rebukes our pride, it also shows us the way of humility and of lowliness. And especially it takes us to Christ, where Paul is speaking to a church and he doesn't just rebuke them and say, you guys are proud and you're just looking out for number one. He says, no, look at Christ and have this mind in you. And he speaks of Christ and his exalted person and yet how he humbled himself. The word will expose our sinful anxiety, but it doesn't just leave us being anxious. It's going to cast a light upon our heavenly father and say, see your father. It might show us the birds and say, look at the birds of the air. He cares for them. Doesn't he care more for you? It's going to show us a better way instead of constantly thinking about all the things that are troubling us. It's going to show us the way of prayer. Be anxious for nothing. But Paul essentially says, be be prayerful in everything. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. If it reproves us for our worldliness, it also corrects us and says, set your mind on things above. Pursue godliness, righteousness, holiness, and so on. So the word of God doesn't just tell us you're off course, but it's a bright light to say this is the right way. Go this way. So whatever else the word is, a sword, it's a sword, the sword of the spirit, it's a firm foundation, a precious, precious treasure to us, pure milk, 
Whatever else it is, it's a lamp for our feet and it is a light for our path, both to the spiritually blind and to us who are believers by way of prevention, direction, reproof, and correction. Now, yes, so what? What do we do with this? Well, just three things briefly here. We need to resolve in a fresh way to take up the word. If this is true, then we need to make the word of God our constant companion and our constant guide through this life. We need to resolve to take it up. And perhaps especially as we approach a new year, in one sense it's arbitrary, but it does seem like a significant thing. Here comes a new year with new challenges. Only God knows what a day and a year will bring. All of these things before us, and we need this lamp and light to take it up. New joys, new opportunities. We need to take up the word of God for ourselves, as we're doing here. To resolve to be here, to continue to be here, and hear the word as it's read and opened up. But also in private, to resolve to take up the word of God privately. And men especially, in your homes, for your families, wife and children, that you take up the word and that you don't leave your family life in the dark without this lamp. We need to resolve in a fresh way to take up the word of God instead of choosing essentially to stumble in the dark because we're not taking up the word as we ought to when it's so readily available. But secondly, we can't just be content to take it up. But we need to strive, strive to obtain some light by it. So one man says, let us not be content to read the word or to hear it preached without obtaining some light from it in our understanding, in our experience, in our providential path. That means we need to listen carefully. We need to read carefully. We need to study diligently and here the principle that Jesus uses applies with the measure that you hear or study or read that same measure you will have returned to you so you you put in the effort the sweat and you can expect the payoff by God's grace we need to diligently commit ourselves to study it, meditating on the word, praying for light, praying for help, praying even to know how does this apply. To say, God, break through because I'm not able to bridge the gap between that and my own life, but I know, I know that it can be bridged. And you say, help me to apply this and to obtain light from what I am reading and hearing and studying. Let me say this, don't always expect to obtain light immediately or easily. That has helped me as I'm wrestling week after week trying to obtain light from a passage. And so often I expect it to be easy and immediate because that's the world we live in. How many things come to us that we want practically immediately and so easily? This can't happen that way. Don't expect it to be easy. Wrestle. Wait if you have the time, make the time until, until light breaks upon your soul. But then thirdly, having resolved to take up the word, take up this light, and then to obtain some light from it, seek by God's grace to walk 
in it, to walk by this light, to be doers of the word and not just hearers only. It's, it's not a lamp for our feet and a light for our path so that we could just stand there and be idle, right? The pictures of movement, we're going somewhere, we're traveling, we're navigating life. It's the pilgrim's lamp. It's a light for us as God's people as we're walking through this life and seeking by God's grace and power to be fully pleasing to him, to know his mind, to love his word, to embrace it and to do it in all of our life. So a prayer is we just sung and we'll close with this. Oh, grant us grace, almighty Lord, to read and mark thy holy word, its truths with meekness to receive and by its holy precepts live. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reminder of these things tonight. Lord, your word is very precious to us, and we thank you that you have spoken, and you have spoken much and given us many of your words. We have so much light, and we thank you. Lord, we confess that we would be in the dark, we would be without hope, we would be without Christ apart from your word. And even as those who know the truth and love the truth, Lord, we need this light every day and we thank you for it. Thank you for the light that has broken upon our minds and hearts and upon our path this day. As we've come together and we have read much scripture together and we have heard your word preached and Lord, we thank you that your word is powerful and that you use it and pray now that your spirit would take the words that we have heard this day Drive them deeply into our hearts. Lord, pray there'd be some hearts that would be opened up tonight. Some who would not hear this and go on in darkness, but come to the light. Come to Christ and find what joy it is to walk in the light with Christ. Lord, we pray, bless these meditations. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.